0: Welcome to The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Today, as part of our family, you will experience the life-changing and spirit-nurturing Word of God. Please enjoy this time with us, where we're committed to helping you grow in knowledge, grow in faith, and grow in God. St. Mark Baptist Church, you grow here. All right, so listen up. This is the question. Can I trust the Bible? I need evidence to trust this book. You know, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. It's sold more copies than any other book of all time. And some people just assume that people can trust the Bible or trust the Bible. But people have been skeptical of this book for a very long time. And maybe you even have questions as a believer. Maybe you have questions about the Bible. And so tonight, I'm going to help you answer that question. Can I really trust the Bible? I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I'm going to walk through a couple of myths, and I'm going to tell you some truths about the Bible that you can stand on to trust God's Word. But first, we have to ask the question, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? I know that sounds pretty basic but some people need to understand what that means what the Bible is so so God is a God who has spoken to his people he's spoken to us in two very specific ways he's spoken to us through what's called general revelation and he's spoken to us through what's called special revelation God's general revelation is basically you standing outside at night and looking up at the stars that his creation speaks to you, that all creation speaks to you, the stars, the sky, the sun, the moons, the air that you breathe, shows this des- des- divine design that the creator has given to us. That's, that's general revelation. We see that in Romans 1.20. He says that all of creation has these invisible attributes of God that shows that he is the creator of the universe. He also speaks to us through his word. This is what's called special revelation, special revelations, where God takes what's, what we see uh, in disguise and he places a special revelation in his book through words that he speaks to us. Second Peter 1 says that that revelation or no prophecy was given by the will of men, but men who spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So God's Word is is this special revelation. It's consisted of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament in the Christian scripture and 27 in the New Testament. Here's the thing that's crazy. There's 40 plus authors in the Bible, 40 plus. So you have various people from various stations of life who have contributed to this text. This is very unique about the Bible. and makes it different from any other holy text because the uh, Mormon Book of Mormon was written by one man. Uh, the Quran written by one person. But what we see here is that 40 different authors speak in their unique, distinct voices, but they all have this unity of voice and they don't contradict one another. That's the beautiful thing about Scripture. But here's the question that I know that some people have. How, how can I trust a book that people wrote because people be peopling and people are terrible people and so how is it that God trusts his divine revelation to human people well because the Bible source is actually God himself the Bible isn't inspired it's actually expired let me explain that to you so the Bible itself, uh, we have read that in the King James Version in 2 Timothy verses 3, uh, verse 316. It says that all scripture is inspired by God, but that actually doesn't capture the original language of that text. It actually means that all scripture, 2 Timothy 316, says that all scripture is God-breathed. It's actually expired out of the mouth of God. God actually speaks scripture to the writers so it's not inspired it's not your favorite hallmark movie it's actually god breathed it's it's god expired that's what that word means there so scripture is a result of god breathing it out not just humans breathing it in so then we ask the question if god breathed it out what kind of role did these human authors play in writing scripture, here's what happens. God presided over the human authors recording his words. And here's what he does. Here's what God does amazingly in the text. He, he uses the writer's styles and personalities. You see, they aren't robots just recording the words of scripture. He's using their personalities. He's using their styles to communicate his truth. And they come from a diverse background you got prophets you got priests you got tax collectors you got fishermen you got tent makers david was a shepherd luke was a physician you have these people from all these walks and stations of life that god has used in order to make sure that his word is recorded and so you have these people who come from different backgrounds different experiences that God uses and presides over to be able to speak His Word. And I want to just cover some objections that you may have heard from folks over the years when it comes to Scripture and help equip you with tools or even help you to understand why those objections just don't work when it comes to understanding and trusting God's Word. And the first one is this, uh, anything written by humans isn't trustworthy. Have y'all heard that? Have you ever heard that phrase that anything that humans have written isn't trustworthy? Well, have you gone to Walgreens and filled a prescription that was written by a human? What about instruction manuals that you pull out of boxes? Those were written by humans. What about dictionaries that you use to write your own words? Those are written by humans. See, you can't say that anything written by humans isn't trustworthy when you trust stuff written by humans all the time. See, the the human authors here aren't writing their thoughts about God. They're actually writing God's thoughts about himself. And that's the difference. They're not just, uh, as Joseph Smith did, just trying to pontificate about what they think god is like or what they think the kingdom of god is like no they're they're actually writing god's thoughts about himself how do you know that pastor john because we see in exodus 34 verse 27 that moses is instructed to write what god communicated to him on mount sinai about himself so moses gets communication from god to deliver to god's people for god to speak about himself to god's people see moses isn't self-interested there otherwise we see jeremiah and other prophets were given this phrase that you hear over and over again in scripture thus saith the lord or this is what god says it's not what human beings are saying so so we see that these humans are writing but god is superintending their writing he's standing over their writing and having to communicate through them here's another objection that you may have heard Uh, the bible has been tampered with it's not trustworthy you know the bible was written a long time ago and over the years people have tampered with God's word well let's talk about that tampering with because uh, there are some things that might prove that not to be true Did you know that there were over 5,700 manuscript copies of the New Testament alone? That means that they made word-for-word copies of the New Testament manuscripts, 5,700 of them. Some of y'all, I'm going to take y'all back to English class real quick, okay? Because some of y'all read Homer's Iliad or some of those older ancient texts. Those don't have as many copies as we have of of the New Testament. In fact, Homer's Iliad only has 643 copies, yet we read that as if they are Homer's true words. And we don't question that. We get grades, A, B, C, D, some of y'all got D's in your English class, but that's okay because we read the, the Iliad understanding that this came from Homer. So the number of copies always authenticates a document and we see that the New Testament manuscripts have many more manuscript copies than any other ancient book that we read even to this day. Not only that, we see not just the number of manuscripts, but the number of years that pass between the copies and the time that they are originally written. Many of these books were were copied within 25 years from the time that the books were written. Again, if you go back to Homer's Iliad and the other books, they were copied thousands of years after those books were originally written. So, we see that that short time frame lends to those copies being authentic. And if we trust the books that we read in your English class, then why can't we trust the scripture that we read that has been passed down probably more accurately, and definitely more accurately than these texts? Not only that, talking about accuracy, the manuscripts that were copied in the New Testament are actually more accurate than any other book in the ancient Near East. I mean, in the ancient world. So 99.9% of the text that was copied is accurate to the original text. And the words that were changed don't change the uniqueness of the gospel message itself. So they are proposi- prepositions or words that just don't make any substantive changes. So we see the accuracy even on these books lends to the idea that this, this Bible hasn't been tampered with and it is totally trustworthy and then the other thing is the church father testimony so the church fathers are men and other individuals who came along uh, right after the apostles who in their writings they actually copied themselves the original writings of the Greek New Testament and if we just use the church father's writings and what they wrote in their writings we could actually be able to compile nearly the entire New Testament from those church fathers. And they got the information directly from these apostles. So here's, here's what we need to understand about that, that objection. If they think that the Bible has been tampered with and not been trustworthy, here's, here's what we need to think through. If you can't trust the transmission of the Bible, then you can't trust the transmission of any other work in antiquity. So that means that your English class, y'all just need to cancel class. Because those books have far fewer manuscripts, far less accurate than scripture, yet people hold this up with scrutiny that they don't hold up with Homer's Iliad or any other book. Why is that? Because they know that this is divine revelation and truth. And that it can transform people's lives, so they hold it up to more scrutiny. So that's an objection that we see here, but, but let, me, let me just move from these couple of objections and talk to you about the truths that we see about the Bible and why we can trust it. Here's one of the truths that, that really for me as a believer, listen, I, I haven't always been Pastor John. I was somebody who had questions. I was, I was a skeptic early on, thinking through Scripture. And this is the one that convinced me that the Bible was trustworthy and true. And that is that the Bible has fulfilled hundreds of prophecies. Now, here's the crazy part. When you look at all these other books, the Hindu Vidas, the Quran, the Book of Mormon, you know how many prophecies have been fulfilled in those books? Let me tell you, zero. Nara, a one. Not one prophecy. But here's the thing: twenty-seven percent of the Bible, twenty-seven percent of the Bible, contains specific prophecies that predict something. That's almost over a quarter of the Bible predicts things. I'm just going to show you a couple of them here, real quick. One, the Bible predicted the coming Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham and David. We see that in Genesis 22, verse 18, 2 Samuel 7, 12. And then we see it in Jesus' genealogy. This is why the Gospels have the genealogy of Jesus, just to show that he's a descendant of Abraham and David. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus. And he comes along and fulfills that specific property. It also prophecy. It also predicted the coming Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. This little raggedy, out-of-the-way town that folks really didn't care about became the place where the Messiah was going to be born. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says that specifically. It says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And sure enough, uh, historical record shows that Jesus himself was born in this small town called Bethlehem. Bethlehem. The other thing is that the Bible predicted that Jesus would be crucified. If you read Psalm 22, verses 16 through 18, it predicts his crucifixion. Here's the crazy part, though. In the Old Testament, at the time that the psalmist is writing this, crucifixion wasn't even invented yet. It wasn't even around yet. And so they're they're predicting something that has not even been invented, yet here we are hundreds of years later, you you show up in the Gospels and you see that the Roman government has come up now with a complex system of crucifixion and then God sends his son into the system in order for him to fulfill this specific prophecy, a prophecy that was made even before crucifixion was invented. Now, the other thing is that Jesus fulfilled many prophecies, but let's just say he only did eight of them. The chances of him doing that is still, listen, I'm not even a math person, but it's still one in 10 to the 17th power. I just know that's a big number. That's a lot of numbers for him to be able to fulfill just eight prophecies. And at the very least, he fulfilled 30 plus prophecies that are found in scripture. 332 to be exact prophecies fulfilled in the life of Jesus. 332 predictive prophecies that came to pass in the life of Jesus. That's why I can trust that book because it has fulfilled hundreds of prophecies in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Why else can I trust this book? Because it has this this crazy harmony. I told you 40 plus authors wrote this from different backgrounds. But there's so much harmony, internal harmony, in this book. When you look from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is consistent in what it teaches from Genesis to Revelation. Why is this the evidence of divine origin? Because you got to think about it. 40 different people, 1,500 years, three different continents, three different languages, only God would be able to bring all those folks together, all those cultural experiences together, and be able to to record a word that that does not contradict itself in any kind of way. Because but God uses these people's unique personalities to be able to record his word, and it's totally unified from Genesis to Revelation. The other part is, if you, if you all like... Archaeology, you like rocks and discovery, uh, there's plenty of archeological evidence that authenticates what's been written in the Bible. I mentioned just a couple, 1961, a team found a limestone block in Caesarea that wrote these words in Latin, Pontius Pilate, perfect of Judea. As you may know, and some of you may not know this, but in the gospels, there's a governor in the area named Pontius Pilate that they bring Jesus before And he asked Jesus this famous question, what is truth? And they have this conversation and he turns them ultimately back over to the Jews. But he actually was a figure who was in power at the time. And we see that not written in the Bible, just written in the Bible, but written in the stone, in the rock, in this limestone discovered in 1961. 1968 confirmed that crucifixion was a Roman method of a death in the first century. Uh, They found bones of a Jewish man who was killed uh, in the rebellion in 70 AD. He had iron spikes that were driven through his feet. We see the crucifixion that is recorded in the Gospels and also through other histories actually is something that happened uh, under the Roman government. Also, in 1993, we actually had no other evidence about, about David outside the Bible until... This discovery came up in 93 where an inscription was found in Israel that mentioned David as the king of Israel. You know where Jesus says that the rocks would cry out if we didn't worship him? This is, this is an example of the rocks crying out and confirming the Bible and its truth. The other part about it is it's crazy when you think about the Book of Mormon that no evidence of the locations that the Book of Mormon mentions have ever arisen. You can't find this place called Bountiful or Zarahemla in any archaeological evidence. In other words, Joseph Smith was just making up stuff. But what you see with the biblical writers is that these places are actually historical places that have been recorded um, throughout the annals of time. And then here's the final truth that I want to get to you. Uh, The Bible led people to die for its truth. I want you to think about that truth. That these men and women who followed Jesus were willing to die for this truth that they believed. After his death, these men and women who were fearful, they ran. They were scared. They were emboldened to preach this gospel message in the face of of death. So, if the gospel were false, the people who were alive at the time actually could have disproved it. They were there. They saw Jesus. They experienced Jesus. There were people around the first century as they're preaching this gospel message who could have said, "No, nah, he ain't do that. He raised this this widow's son from the dead. This man ain't walk on no water. He multiplied no fish and no loaves." There was there, people there that could have disproven it, but they didn't. As a matter of fact, we see that 3,000 people believed this first post-resurrection sermon that Peter preached and were just a stone's throw away from the tomb where Jesus was buried. So they could have said, let's go over to the tomb and we can show you that he's still buried there, but obviously he wasn't. Because 3,000 people on that day believed this message of the gospel. Not only that, they were threatened, they were imprisoned, beaten, stoned to death, thrown to wild animals, and attacked by angry mobs. Who would do that for a lie? First time I'm getting beat, I'm telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But these folks believed this message of the gospel because it was true. Church history tells us that Matthew was killed with an axe in Ethiopia. Luke, one of the gospel writers, was hung to death in Greece. You see, people lie to get out of trouble, not throw themselves into it. So why would they throw themselves into trouble over a lie? Nobody dies for something that they know is a lie. Let me close with this. I know some of y'all are saying, what about these these martyrs, these terrorists, these these Muslims who who die in jihad for their faith. A couple of different things I want to mention to you. One, the time between the message and their messengers is different. So they're believing in the message of this Muhammad that they never met, never walked with. The disciples walk with, talk with Jesus. They're believing a message that they experienced and knew for themselves. And so there's a time difference there. But then not only also this, uh, there's a difference between hoping something is true and knowing something is true. See, these terrorists, they die for something that they hope is true. They hope when they die, they're going to get there, however many virgins or they're going to get to the heaven that they hope to. But these disciples... They knew and experienced Jesus every single day. It wasn't a hope, it was we knew that we knew. And because we know, we're willing to die for this cause and not kill ourselves. We're willing to allow others to persecute us, others to beat us, others to throw us to lions because we believe that this is the message that can change the world. So why is this Bible trustworthy? Because it has hundreds of prophecies that have been fulfilled. It has this harmony that's unlike any other book. It, it has archeological evidence that confirms everything written in here. And, and these people were willing to die for this gospel message because they knew that this God who walked this earth, as a perfect man, was the Messiah that could take away the sins of the world. That's why we can trust this book. This has been The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Be sure to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our Facebook group, The Growth Factor, for daily motivational content. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening.